0: Alright, I hate to break up the party, but if we go on too long, you guys will think I've preached for a long time. My name is Frank. I'm one of the pastors. I'm really glad you're here with us this morning. It's great to be in God's house. Um, I, uh, I want to welcome those that are new. I want to welcome those that are watching online that are new. Um, uh, I hope you find this to be a place where you can begin to understand More about this Jesus, this man, this God man who came to earth to rescue us from ourselves. And it's incredible. The more you learn, you think you're just going to learn information about Jesus and then you're going to decide to believe. But what happens is, as you begin to study God's word, you begin to fall in love. And you understand that you're in a relationship. It's not about knowledge, it's about a relationship with our God. It's incredible. And we've been in a series where we've been planning to talk about the fruit of the Spirit, about the benefits, the, the, the promises that God gives us of what happens in our lives when we surrender to God. And these promised connections that, that come out of the Holy Spirit because of our faith in Jesus Christ. If you have not yet accepted Christ as your Savior, these fruits have not yet or will be unable to be in your life. It's something that comes through having the Holy Spirit. Now, you may have noticed that I haven't started talking about any specific fruit. We're now, I think, four weeks into the series, which is about normal for me. And the reason is it's fruitless, no pun intended, to talk, about, to talk about spiritual fruit if you miss the very thing that brings spiritual fruit into your life. I could spend an entire sermon on what it means to have peace with God and the peace of God, and I will do that. But fruit of the Spirit is not something that we learn to obtain or something that we strive to get or we strive to grow in. We can't grow God's fruit in our lives on our own. It's a byproduct of something far more important. Fruit of the Spirit is a lot like being sunburned. When you see somebody with a really bad sunburn, you know that they've spent a lot of time exposed to the sun. The sunburn is actually the evidence of something else, where they've been spending their time. They didn't stay inside and decide to get sunburned. There's only one way to get sunburned. They have to be exposed to sunlight. When you and I see someone with a gentleness that is supernatural, a love that is supernatural that's far beyond the love or gentleness that we see on our own, you know one thing and one thing only, that person has been exposed to Jesus Christ. So since we started this series, the entire focus thus far has been on our relationship with Christ, not the fruit of the Spirit. Now I have repeatedly said the goal of this study is to make sure that you and I understand one very critical truth that we embrace and understand that nothing on this planet is more valuable than our relationship with Jesus Christ. There is nothing we should desire more than to grow in our relationship with Christ. No amount of money, health, power, fame, nothing is more important or valuable than what a relationship with Jesus will bring to your life. So each week we've been building, understanding that our time alone with Jesus should be the most important thing in our life. Week one, we talked about the true impact of COVID-19 and how Christians have abandoned their post just as the spiritual war is amping up. We talked about how the impact of, of COVID may very well be eternal for people. Many believers are being shift, sifted by difficult times. God's pruning his church. I believe that to the core of my heart. Week two, we learned about one thing that changes when we spend time with God, The one thing that changes everything in our life, the one thing that allows us to survive difficult times and thrive in them. When we're alone with Christ, he changes our perspective. Our circumstances may not change, but our perspective changes, and that changes everything because we get onto his agenda and off of ours. And then last week I talked about, honey, they shrunk my God. And how when we spend time alone with God, we begin to understand just how big He is and how small we are and how incredible it is that He chooses to have a relationship with us. This week, we're going to look at one last issue before we start looking at each individual fruit of the Spirit. We can take our place in the spiritual battle that's raging around us We gain God's perspective about those events and we can understand just how big our God is and still not grow fruit. You could master all the things we've talked about so far. You could have it nailed down and wonder why you're not growing fruit in your life. If you're spending a lot of time exposed to Jesus in your quiet time and you still feel like the fruit of the Spirit is not growing in you, there's a problem. Very serious problem. And we're going to address it today, but the good news is, you can fix it. If you're not growing spiritual fruit in your life, don't look to God, look to yourself. That's what we're going to do today. Jesus promised that those who trusted him would receive the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit would manifest certain changes. Paul called them spiritual fruit. The evidence of a life transformed by Jesus is that his followers start to look alike. They all start to have the same love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, gentleness, kindness, because they've been with Jesus. They are sun burned. People can see that they've spent time with the sun. Galatians 5.22, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there's no law. Now, we have said that we want more of these in our life. Jesus told us that they will come into our life if we abide in him, but abiding with him is not just spending time with him. It's surrendering your plans for his. Abiding with Jesus is not telling him what he needs to do or what he should have done. It's surrendering to what he's doing, getting his perspective and then surrendering to it. Jesus said anyone who abides in him will develop much fruit. It's a promise. He didn't say some people. He didn't say the most spiritual people. He didn't say only pastors. He said anybody that abides with me will grow spiritual fruit. And I've said over and over, if you're not feeling like you're growing in love and joy and those things, there's a problem in the abiding. We have to position ourselves to receive more of the Holy Spirit. The more we allow the Spirit of God to flow through us, the juicier our fruit becomes. I want to look at one more step we have to take. One last critical step. But I want to talk first about just the most important things that have to happen to grow fruit. If you wanted to put a list down. Number one, you have to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You have to come to a moment in your life where you realize you're a sinner... You confess and repent that sin. You surrender your life to Jesus. You trust what He did on that day in history to save you. And through your faith in Christ and only your faith in Christ, you are saved and you receive the Holy Spirit of God. The second thing is you got to spend time in the sanctuary with Jesus. You got to prioritize your time with Him so you can be like Him. The third thing, and that's the hardest. We have to surrender our plans to his. We have to truly desire what God wants more than what we want. Now, many of us, we obviously want more love, joy, peace. We look and we go, I'd love to have that. That'd be great. But truthfully, when we look out over the garden of our lives, we're frustrated because our fruit doesn't seem like it's been growing for years. We're stalled spiritually. And when that happens, we have to take the third step. What's the third step? We have to deal with the weeds that we've allowed to grow in our garden. Unattended weeds choke out fruit all the time. Weeds are a problem. My parents used to make me pull weeds in our garden. I hated it. I hate pulling weeds. I still do. Not only do I hate it, I didn't do it very well. It's hard trying to figure out which one's a weed and which one's a flower, particularly for a 12-year-old. I had a hard time getting my mom to disagree or to agree with me. Those aren't weeds, they're flowers. We need to let them grow. It never worked, but I tried really hard. Sometimes, though, it really was hard to tell the weeds from the flowers often i would pull flowers thinking they're weeds and leave weeds to grow like they were flowers and when i did pull weeds i was lazy about it never really pulling the roots just getting rid of the surface stuff when i was about 12 years old i thought my prayers had been answered there was a man named george ballas Do y'all know george ballas george ballas was the man who invented the weed eater Yeah, not that weed eater, that's the original. He took a can of popcorn and put some wires on it, put it on a drill and spun it, and he created the weed eater. He's a genius. Now I could blast weeds, flowers, lots of stuff, and I didn't even have to bend over. Not just root pulling, but complete total surface annihilation. It was the ultimate shortcut for a lazy 12-year-old. The 12-year-old that didn't want to pull weeds, just wanted to destroy things. They always grew back, and I knew they would, but eventually, they would choke out the flowers. I'll worry about that tomorrow. Today, they're gone, and they're gone quick, along with the flowers, the hedges, the bugs, anything else I could find to destroy around our house. And now that I'm adult, I'm still not good at pulling weeds. I love gardens, but I can't stand gardening. My first attempt is to convince other people that what they're seeing is not a weed at all. I can convince others that they think a weed is actually a flower. Then I don't have to deal with it. I just need to get people to agree with me. If that fails, then I can put a chemical on them. I can spray them or maybe cover them with a tarp or blast them with a weed eater. But when I do pull weeds, I I tend to pull only what I can see. I leave the roots to do their own thing. I know that the only way to get rid of weeds is to go deep and pull them out at the root, but that's hard work. It's hot outside. I want a great garden, but I'm lazy when it comes to pulling weeds. I only deal with them on the surface just enough to cover them, knowing that they're going to grow back, that I really haven't done anything to them at all. We tend to approach our sinful nature the same way. When we become aware of the spiritual weeds in our lives, we try almost everything except pulling that ugliness out of our lives at the root. First, we try to convince other people that that sin they see is not really a sin. Rather, it's a beautiful flower. If we can just get enough people to agree with us, we can keep on sinning. We don't have to deal with that weed at all. We'll just change to new friends who agree with me about that weed. We'll flock to others who have the same weed. We'll all pretend together that it's just a flower. If that doesn't work, we're gonna shoot chemicals at that sin in our life, drugs, alcohol, trying to numb what that weed is doing to us. We use substances to numb the guilt and the shame and sometimes we use them to even kill the weed but then it just becomes an even stronger weed that we can't kill. And it begins to choke us. Some of us prefer to cover up the weeds in our spiritual life, not with a tarp, but with denial and rationalizations and excuses. Maybe trying to cover our sins with good deeds. Sometimes we blast them, not with a weed eater, but with religious self-righteousness indignation and arrogance, super spirituality. You see that sin in my life? We quickly blast it, destroying any surface evidence of it, so we pretend at church that the roots aren't really there, that they're not growing. And yet the root of our sin is alive and well below the surface. Some of us just pull what we can see, making superficial changes in our lives not really wiping it out with a weed eater, more subtle things, more socially acceptable ways of hiding what's on the surface, yet keeping the root of sin in our lives. We try behavior modification. Rather than trust Jesus, we've moved to self-help gurus. We contort ourselves trying to develop enough inner power to change, but we don't seem to have the power to kill the root of the sin in our life. So we clean up just enough just enough to make some superficial surface changes, just enough to keep other people from seeing that there's weeds in our spiritual garden, just enough so we can feel good about our weeds when we go to church, but not really addressing the deepest issue, not really digging up the root because we're powerless to do so. And truthfully, if we're honest, we like our weeds. The truth is we'd all wanna have a great garden We want to produce the best fruit, the best spiritual fruit. But real gardeners know that to produce fruit, you've got to actually pull the entire weed. You have to hate the weeds all the way down to the root. You have to be diligent to get out every bit of that root to get that weed out of your garden. You can't leave any evidence of it or it'll come back. And when weeds grow, they always choke out the garden. I want to invite you today to dive into the spiritual garden and the spiritual dirt of your life, to allow God to work with you to pull the sinful nature out of your life so that the Spirit of God can grow fruit without it being choked out by the sins that you are watering. If you want spiritual fruit in your life, you're going to have to dig out. Weeds in your spiritual garden. So, I want to ask you this morning how is your spiritual garden? As you look over your life, maybe it's not pretty. Perhaps it's a part of your life, or maybe the whole thing, you just don't like what you see. You believe there's potential, but right now it seems far from reality. The weeds are overgrowing everything. You're not the person you want to be, things have turned into a mess. We keep saying things are going to change, but we don't do anything differently to make them change or to position ourselves to change. This was going to be the year, the year that you're going to grow more love and joy and kindness, the year that changes were to come. You prayed for God's help. You planted some seeds, but nothing's changed. In fact, it's been that way every year for many years. You're no different this year than from the year before or the one before that or the one before that. Year after year, we all struggle with the same issues and what seems like the same results. What's the problem? Most likely, you've planted seeds, but you haven't done the hard work of getting rid of the weeds first. You've asked God to grow spiritual fruit in the garden but our flesh, our sinful desires, a battle has been raging in our garden between the weeds that we're truly watering and the fruit that we say we want. Let's look a little closer at Galatians 5. Paul starts out by telling us that we're not the person we want to be. He says, here's why you don't do what you want to do. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these things are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. The desires of the flesh are in conflict with the desires of the Spirit. You don't do the things you want to do because in the garden that is your spiritual life, there are weeds growing. And they're growing for only one reason. You've refused to pull them and you're watering them. And these weeds will always compete with the fruit of Spirit in your life. Paul tells us, look, we got two opposing forces going on in our spiritual garden. There's a battle going on constantly between our sinful nature and the Spirit of God. And as long as we continue to water the weeds of our flesh, fruit's going to get choked out. What you water grows. Even the smallest weed, if left unattended, eventually chokes out the fruit. We see this a lot as pastors, sadly. It's too common. Men come in and they say, I don't love my wife anymore. We've fallen out of love. No intimacy, no bond, no attraction. She feels the same way. I've asked God to grow this love. I've asked God in my heart to develop a stronger love for her, but it's not happening. It's just not there. And he seems really sincere. He wants to love his wife. It'd be great for his kids and his family. He wants a great marriage and a great relationship. He wants to be close again, but it's just not there. Even though he's praying, it hasn't happened. He's frustrated. Why isn't God doing what he thought God should be doing? But then you explore a little deeper. You start digging around in the dirt a little bit. You discover in the same garden where he's asking God to grow the fruit for his wife and love for his family, he's watering weeds of lust. Watering weeds of lust every day. He's secretly addicted to pornography, adding water. Flirtatious with that new secretary, more water. Living out fantasies about his secretary, harmless, right? No, it's more water. Taking the secretary out for her birthday lunch, harmless, right? Nice gesture, right? No, more water. Going to that secretary, female perspective on his marriage, now he's drowning in water. And at the same time he's asking God to grow intimacy in his marriage, the well-watered lust in his life is choking out the fruit of his marriage. He wants to have a good marriage, but he refuses to pull the weeds of lust. The lust gets his attention, his resources, his time, his energy, The love for his wife is starving and ignored and everything is being pulled away from her. What you water grows. What you don't water stagnates. You absolutely have to destroy the roots in your life. You can't just walk in the garden and plant seeds. You have to do the hard work of pulling weeds and you have to be willing to do it because pulling weeds means repenting. You have to first acknowledge that a weed is a weed. You've got to quit calling that sin in your life being nice to her. This may be the hardest step. That flower, that secretary looks so beautiful. You're on the moral edge, but you deceive yourself to believe you haven't sinned yet. You might even get your buddies to agree with you. Not your buddies at church, they're not going to agree. You probably need to stay away from them. Didn't like the music or the pastor at that church anyway. You have to own the fact that you're watering it. It's only by your choice that that weed is in your garden and growing. Nobody else is responsible. If you look at the spiritual garden that is your life, there's fruit, which is God's responsibility, and there are weeds, which is your responsibility. You have to acknowledge to God that you've desired that weed grow more than you've desired for his fruit to grow. It's true, go ahead and acknowledge it. If there's a weed in your life that's choking out your spiritual life, you've allowed it and you wanted it more than God. No longer satisfied with spraying chemicals on it, hoping to numb the pain or shame or guilt. No longer satisfied trying to cover it up with rationalization and excuses. Unwilling unwilling to just destroy it at the surface. Or zap it like a weed eater with your arrogance or religious self-righteousness. Repentance is when you get on your face, you acknowledge the weed as a weed, and you hate that weed as much as God does. And you want every bit of it out of your life, no matter what it costs. You commit to no longer doing anything to help that weed grow and doing everything you can to focus on creating the best soil for spiritual fruit. But many aren't willing to take that deeper dig into their spiritual soil. We want fruit, but we also want to keep watering the weeds of our sinful nature. Paul says it this way. The desires of the spirit are against the flesh for those opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. The process of growing spiritual fruit in your life and my life always, always, always begins with removing weeds, root and all. So once we decide we truly hate the weeds in our lives, truly hate what they're choking out and are ready to get dirty and dig, how do we do that? I mean, how do we do that? This thing's been in our life for a long time. The first thing we have to do, stop calling a weed a flower. Stop denying the truth. We see weeds in our lives, we think they're harmless, but that weed is destroying you. Looks like a flower, looks beautiful, even harmless, maybe beneficial. God says it's a weed. And you have to tell the difference between a weed and a flower, and the good news is you don't decide. That's the beauty of it. When I was a kid, I had a hard time. Is that a weed or a flower? Now it's easy. God, is that a weed? See, because my opinion doesn't matter. God, is that a weed? If God says it's a weed, it's a weed. Doesn't matter what my opinion is. God's truth defined sin long before He created us and gave us the ability to have an opinion about it or the freedom to disagree with Him about it. His truth will be true long after this world is gone. No matter what people think, the one who allows them to think has already determined truth. Let me give you an example. Currently the U.S. legislature is reviewing a bill called the Equality Act. It threatens spiritual liberty and freedom in our nation. If you want to understand why our church is making such drastic changes to prepare for the future, learn about the Equality Act and its impact on churches. It's a bill that's passed the House. President Biden's agreed to sign it. It gives legal protection to those involved in what God defines as sexual sins and perversions and requires churches accept these acts and actions as normal in the same manner that we celebrate people of different races. The bill guts the Religious Freedom Act and eliminates the Religious Freedom Restoration Act of 1993, which protected churches based on their beliefs. The Equality Act—in fact, the entire LGBT sexual right agenda—is based on legislating man's truth above God's, soon stating what God's truth is will, in fact, be illegal. Churches will soon lose or choose to give up their nonprofit status, face fines, and other actions for simply quoting God's truth and refusing to waver. When we started Remnant, we committed to creating a church that would speak God's truth no matter what happened. We were preparing for times such as that, these. That's what a Remnant does. Facebook, YouTube, And other social media services decided several years ago to add closed captioning to all of their videos and live feeds, isn't that great? Help out the hearing impaired? Great, right? No, that way they can search the text to see if there's offensive words and to see what people are saying and doing. That's how they legislate, that's how they regulate what people are doing and saying on their feed. They don't have time to read all of them, they'll let the computer identify it. I could go on for days about the dangers of Facebook, Twitter, Amazon, YouTube, Google, Instagram, in my opinion, they're a weed that Christians need to stop watering. I have some of these in my life that I plan to eliminate as well. Unaddressed weeds grow while appearing okay. Often the weeds that we let grow will destroy our lives. They look harmless, they look beautiful, they look enticing. It can be hard to tell. So, how do we make sure a weed's a weed? Well, we've been in Galatians. Paul has talked about the fruit of the Spirit. But just before Paul gave us the list of the fruit of the Spirit, he gave us a list of weeds that need to be pulled. Things that need to be destroyed at the root. Galatians five nineteen. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, Envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Those are weeds. The works of the flesh, the weeds are evident in life. We want to see spiritual fruit, but the weeds are growing. And there's this battle going on within us. It's sort of like my favorite race every year that I've never participated in but always wanted to try. I've talked about it before. It's the North Carolina Krispy Kreme Challenge race in Raleigh, North Carolina, started in 2004 with 12 crazy, probably drunk college students. Last year it had 7,500 runners. They run from campus at North Carolina State University to a Krispy Kreme donut two miles away. Then they must eat one dozen Krispy Kreme donuts and run back to the campus all within one hour. It started as a dare, and now it's grown to many universities, including Florida State, University of Kentucky. Proceeds go to a local hospital charity where most of the people end up anyway. (laughs) But it's a classic example of two forces opposing each other in the body. Let's say we get a personal trainer, and we decide we want to have a running program to lose weight. We're committed to running every day. We want the results. We meet with our trainer every day, but we have a secret we don't tell them about. Imagine if we decided every time we ran, we're going to stop and get a bunch of donuts. We're committed to stopping and getting donuts more than we're committed to running and losing weight. But when we don't lose weight, we blame the trainer. It's not fair, right? And yet, that's exactly what we do in our spiritual life. We put in some spiritual effort. We're here, after all. We're all here attending the service. We do our spiritual workout once a week. But each day, we're watering weeds. We get frustrated with our lack of spiritual growth. I've really been trying, I've been working hard to grow spiritually. I've tried to be more loving, more joyful, more self-control. That may be well and true, but the problem is while you're hoping for those things, you're watering weeds. So here's the question for you and me. What gets watered in the garden that is your spiritual life? What are you watering? Let's look at what Paul says. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, and sensuality. The first three weeds that Paul lists are sexual sins, sexual immorality, anything outside of marriage between a man and a woman, impurity, lust, or improper thinking in your heart and your mind, and sensuality, just doing whatever feels good, living for the moment. Paul says these are deadly weeds, but our culture says they're beautiful flowers. It's not hurting anybody. Two consenting adults, no big issue. If it feels good, it doesn't harm anybody else. Who are you to say it's a weed? I'm not. God is. Those are just computer images. They're not affecting my marriage. Yet God says they're a weed. They need to be pulled. Our culture says there's flowers doing no harm. You're going to follow God's perspective or the world's perspective. You want fruit or weeds? He continues. Now the works of the flesh are evident. And he goes on, he says, idolatry, sorcery, Idolatry, sorcery, witchcraft. The idea of putting anyone or anything ahead of God in your life. It's not just witchcraft. It's making an idol of anything. Your career, your possessions. A false god will always choke out the fruit of the spirit in your life. Trusting a human to provide wisdom for you through palm readings or horoscopes or tarot cards. All weeds that need to be removed. Our culture promotes witchcraft, spiritual advisors, contacting the dead, fascination with ghosts and the occult. I find it amazing that our culture will argue with you that there are ghosts inhabiting old houses, but will disagree with you that the Holy Ghost inhabits humans. God says those things are weeds that need to be pulled. He goes on. Enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions. These are all things that are in our relationships. They're things that need to be pulled. Our our culture says these are normal parts of human interaction. God says they're weeds that you need to pull. Relational weeds, strife, jealousy, anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions. Then the list goes on. Envy, drunkenness, and orgies. Paul gets to the more dangerous, the the deeper, the things that are really out of control. When those first things get out of control, this is where you end up drunkenness and orgies. God says there there are weeds that have to be removed. Our culture says, no, it's just a drink, it's just humans, adults having fun. God's perspective or the world's perspective? Fruit or weeds? And then he says, and things like these. What does that mean? It means whatever you're thinking about right now, you're glad it's not on that list. We do that, don't we? We look at that list and we go, oh, all right, I'm good. It's not on there. Woo! And things such as these, ah, that's where it is. If you're glad he missed one of your favorites, he didn't. It's on the list. It's a weed. You need to pull it. Let me give you a critical point, though. When it comes to pulling weeds or growing fruit in the spiritual garden, the power to do it comes only from the Holy Spirit. It's there because you're watering it. It's there because you allow it to be there. You may be able to wipe it out at the surface, but the only person, the only power that exists to go to the depth root of your sins is God himself. In your own power, you will never effectively pull weeds. And you'll never effectively grow spiritual fruit. It's the power of the Holy Spirit that does these things. Please don't miss this. So many people go to church and they hear, grow fruit, pull weeds, be good, don't be bad do good things, not bad things, so we work at it. We really try to pull the, the fruit and the, grow the fruit and pull the weeds, but we can't do it. And our spiritual walk has been this cycle of frustration and failure. If we grow up with this kind of religious idea that the power is ours to change everything, we eventually get wiped out with guilt and failure and we just walk away from the faith. Many people believe they failed to failed to show God who they could be, but in reality they've just been trying to do something they don't have the power to do. They've been trying to impress God with their own willpower and their own strength and God's like, "Will you just please stop? Confess it as a sin, I'll pull it out." It's only by the power of the Holy Spirit that we can get rid of the fruit that, or I'm sorry, the weeds that are growing in our life. You can't fake it with God. There's only one way to get rid of it. Look at what Paul says. But I say walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Live by the Spirit and you'll stop watering the weeds. You have to acknowledge the weeds exist. You have to agree with God that they need to be pulled out of your life at all costs that you need room in your heart for good fruit to grow and the weeds are taking up the space in your heart. And you have never really trusted anyone enough to let them know about the weeds that are truly growing under the surface of your garden. God says, just deal with me. I know they're there. Confess them, repent. Let's, Let's get this stuff out of here so I can do something incredible in your life. Once you surrender to Jesus, he's in the weed-pulling business. Our job is to open the door and let the Holy Spirit pull the weed. As we prioritize our time with Jesus, as we surrender our desires to him, we trust his judgment, we do what he says. We don't will ourselves to change. We surrender, and the Holy Spirit changes us. From the inside out, the Holy Spirit fills us. Fruit becomes evident in our lives. People start noticing, wow, look at how much they've changed. Look look at how much that person has changed. They used to be this way, and now they're this. Only God could do that. They're spiritually sunburned. They've been with the sun. Yet some of us go back and water old weeds. Begin to prioritize things with ourselves over Jesus again. Earlier in the book of Galatians, Paul tells them this. Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now perfected by the flesh? In other words, you cleaned out the garden and then you put new weeds in. He's frustrated with them. You started out so well. The Spirit was cleaning things. You were confessing things. They were gone. Fruit was blooming. And all of a sudden, you decided to start planting weeds again. Why are you trying to do this? Paul asks them. Have you ever seen somebody walking through the airport and they're carrying all kinds of baggage? And they're struggling, they look frustrated, they look exhausted, they look defeated. You can see that they're just like pounding on their phone looking for something. They're, they can't hardly move, they're not going anywhere. Those bags are holding them down and the bags are ruining their life. And then next to them you see somebody else. Somebody walking on that walkway, Right? and they're moving to their destination, and it's almost effortless. They're not doing anything. They're being propelled by a power that's not their own. They can set their bags down. They don't have to carry them. They're going to get to their destination faster, easier, with more joy. Walking in the Spirit is like that. I'll just move under God's power. I'll let him take me to my destination. I'll set down all this stuff. A lot of it I may not even take with me anymore. When you walk in the Spirit, you no longer have to carry all that baggage. When you pull weeds, you're dumping bags. I'm not carrying that with me anymore. You can relax and begin to enjoy the journey because truthfully, you know the root of that weed is in your life and you're afraid somebody's going to see it because it's going to start growing. And many people spend their spiritual life playing whack-a-mole with the weeds that they're letting grow in their garden. Walking in the flesh is saying no to the moving sidewalk. Carrying everything yourself. You don't need help. You don't need it. Struggle with every step. Many of us are watering weeds because we honestly don't want to let go of the bag. We're carrying baggage that God never intended for us to carry, but we want it. Paul says whether you're growing fruit or pulling weeds, it has to be done in the power of the Holy Spirit. Live by the power of the Spirit. These things take care of themselves. So, a great sermon, right? Key to growing spiritual fruit. Pull those weeds. Let the Holy Spirit do it. It sounds great, doesn't it? You're going to get in your car and you're going to go, man, that was a good sermon. I'm going to live in the Spirit. Perfect. Yep, that's what I need to do. I'm going to live in the Spirit. And then you're going to get down to the light down here. And you're going to go, how do I do that exactly? I mean, yeah, I want to do it, but How do I do it? I'm glad you asked. Let me give you a few ideas of how you can position yourself to receive all the Spirit has for you. Living by the Spirit requires that you're in continual awareness and constant prayer. If you're going to live by the Spirit, you've got to be connected and communicating with the Spirit. Right? You've got to be praying all the time. God, what are you doing in this moment? God, is that a weed or is that that a fruit? God, if it's a weed, let's get rid of it now. I don't want it to go into the next hour. Let's get rid of that weed, God. We have to have a constant awareness of the Spirit of God in our lives, directing our lives, strengthening us, getting rid of things we don't want. If we live by the Spirit, let's keep in step with the Spirit, Paul says. Imagine the words behind keeping in step. Greek words have an image that go with the word. This is like marching band. The idea of marching. I want to be so in step with the Holy Spirit that it's left, right, left, right, left, right. Whatever the Spirit does, I do. Whatever the Spirit doesn't do, I don't do. Once you start looking up, looking to the side, taking your eyes off of the Spirit, you begin to become out of step. Living in constant awareness. It's not just coming to the church once a week. It's every moment of your day, awareness of what the Holy Spirit's doing. Bill Bright called this spiritual breathing. Breathing out any sin in your life, breathing in God's grace and forgiveness all day long. But it doesn't feel natural to us. What feels natural to us is to live in the flesh. What seems unnatural is doing things God's way. That's why we need to do things that are supernatural. Living by the Spirit requires filtered thinking. The battleground is for your thought life. You have to be in constant prayer with the Spirit, and you have to filter your thinking. Romans 8, 4, or 5, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. To set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. Whatever we put our mind on is going to determine what our garden looks like. So my first question to you is, what are you thinking about? What's preoccupying your thoughts? Things of God? Are you feeding that weed? You want to know how you know what you're thinking about? Let me just give you a quick test. I know we're running over, but we're having so much fun, we don't want to stop. I'm going to say something. You're going to tell me what follows, okay? We've done this before. We should be good at this. Like a good neighbor. Okay. You're in good hands with. You deserve. Uh, let's do some song lyrics. I know it's only rock and roll, but. The long and. Rainy days and Mondays. All my exes live in. How about movies? I'll be. All or uh, let's see. You had me at. Houston. May the force. Blessed are those who are pure in heart. for they shall see God. In him was life, and the life was, we're getting quiet, (laughs) the life was the light of men. A new command I give you, that you should love one another. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Who desires are competing within you. Living by the Spirit means being alone in the sanctuary with God, with His Word, and knowing His Word in your heart. Developing deep spiritual roots, watering your relationship with Him, starving anything that gets in the way of that relationship. Do you know why you know all those slogans? Because you've heard them 100,000 times. Do you know why you don't know Scripture? You hadn't been there. You have to keep a diary of your spiritual thought life. It's critical in our nation today. Our government is no longer going to regulate what you can do. They're no longer going to regulate what you can say. They're trying to regulate what you're allowed to think. I never thought I'd see this in America. Thought police cancel culture erasing any human idea that doesn't align with the government's predetermined agenda. I really miss the America I knew and loved. The end is coming much faster than I imagined. Believers really need to be at their posts and deeply connected to the Holy Spirit and in Scripture and prioritizing their time with God above everything because the battle is getting ready to rage. Almost every news story is the same. Deny God's truth and embrace ours or else. And then living by the Spirit means dying to yourself. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. We have to die daily. We have to make a constant, continuous decision to die to our flesh. We got to make sure the garden's prepared. We have to go to God and say, take me every bit of me and fill me with you. Paul says it this way to the Colossians, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. You have to allow the Holy Spirit to kill your weeds. The more we die to ourselves, the more room we have to grow fruit. As the believer gets more of the Holy Spirit, the world gets more of God's fruit. My prayer for this series is that you will not try to grow more fruit in your life but rather you'll connect to the source of the fruit. Next week, we begin looking at love. And as we prepare the next few weeks, I want you to, I know we're running over, but I don't care. Um, Here's what I want us to do. I don't think there's one of us in this room that doesn't have something to talk to God about. So we're going to have the altar open. We're going to have the band come up. We're going to play again. Maybe your time at the altar this morning is surrendering your life to him for the first time. Maybe you need to commit a desire for him above everything else in your life. Maybe admit that you didn't know what you didn't know, but now you know, and you need him. Perhaps confess that you've tried to keep God in a box so that you can control him and still be your own God. Maybe you need to confess to him that what you've been calling a, Flower is a weed, and you really know it. That you've been struggling through your own power to root it out of your life, hoping he wouldn't see it and nobody else would see it. But you realize you've been watering it. You haven't really been watering your relationship with God, hiding beneath the surface all those things no one sees, and not trusting Jesus or anybody else to solve it for you. Maybe you realize you've been carrying baggage and you're overwhelmed and you're not willing to let go, but you want to let go and surrender that. You want to be powered by the Spirit's efforts, not your own. Maybe you want to commit to God that from this day forward, you're going to live in the Spirit. Walking in step, constantly praying, filtering your thinking, dying to yourself. But whatever you need to do, I want you to do it in the next few moments. So I'm going to pray for us. The altar will be open If you want to stay in your chair, that's fine. But I don't think there's a person in this room that doesn't have business with God. And so if you would just be respectful of the people around you, God's going to do work in this room right now. He's going to start pulling some weeds. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you ask us to believe in faith and surrender and then allow you to work in our hearts. God, every one of us has something that needs to be pulled something we've been watering, some secret that we've tried to keep quiet, something that we need to confess. God, we want our desire above all else to have every square inch of our spiritual garden weed-free and busting in fruit. God, we can't wait to see the fruit that you can grow in our lives if we just get out of the way and let you do it. So God, in the next few moments, would your spirit work in this room? you move in hearts? Would you break down barriers? Would you pull down obstacles? Would you break through walls? Whatever Satan is doing to try to get our people to think that that weed is a flower. God, break through and save us. We love you. Our hearts are open. Your children are listening. In Jesus' name.